latest episode of the Meltzer Five Star Project, the episode within the Let Me Tell You Something universe in which myself, your Let Me Tell You Something co-host, Lorcan Mullen, and your other Let Me Tell You Something co-host, Simon Cross, discuss every other singles match that Will Ospreay has for the period of however long we can make that conversation interesting. <laughs> and who's Will Ospreay wrestling today, Simon? He's wrestling uh, Zack Sabre Jr. at uh, Royal Quest 3. Taking place on the 14th of October, 2023. <laughs> so I've alluded in recent episodes about my frustrations with this series now ongoing. I've just looked it up, and this is the 30th match that Will Ospreay has been involved in, that Dave Meltzer has given five stars or higher. He went higher with this one, actually. He went five and a half. So that's two five and a half star matches in a row featuring Zack Sabre Jr., Another not so much of a mainstay, but in relative terms, until Will Ospreay came on the scene, he'd be like, oh, more Zack Sabre Jr. We don't need this. Although actually, has Zack Sabre Jr. been in this without it being opposite Will Ospreay? Now I'm thinking about it. Probably not, no. Yeah. Do, do you think it was one of those scenarios where it's like, okay, he's got his dream match against Brian, and we're obviously doing this thing of Will Ospreay's like the best, one of the best wrestlers in the world. So it's sort of like, they're sort of destined to be like face each other as like the two best British wrestlers going, effectively. That is definitely the case. I have just remembered that they he had a match with Walter in PWG that also got five stars. Zach ah. Jr. So it's not just Osprey and last week's Danielson match. Yeah. But obviously it helps that it's Osprey. I was as to your point, that was my first note, because usually New Japan Explain it pretty well with their opening packages as to what the story of the match is that they're conveying. If you can understand it without the Japanese language, that really puts it across. Usually you can with the video packages anyway, but this one, it was more obvious than not. that The story was that Zack used to be Will Ospreay's superior, and then Ospreay overtook Zack Sabre Jr. However, Zack won their last interaction at the New Japan Cup. So this is as close as they've come to being equals with one another going into the match. And they're both champions, although it's Osprey's championship that's on the line in the match. And they're both coming in with great runs of form. While Zack Sabre Jr. did lose the match to Danielson, it's clearly being presented as a moral victory of some sorts. Yeah. Whereas Osprey's having one hell of a run, as they're pointing out, both with these championships as well, because Zack Sabre Jr. is the first New Japan world television champion and he won that at wrestle kingdom and is still holding on to it into october so he's coming up to a year with the belts a very very ugly belt but that's not the important <laughs> thing right really now. want a gold bar whenever i see it but that... <laughs> <laughs> so this is like you say it's an ongoing battle for who is the best wrestler from the uk but also the way that the match ends And as we've said, and this is going to be my key point with maybe the reason that I'm struggling to give a shit about this at the moment because so much of it's Will Ospreay stuff, that it might be the last time these guys square off, at least for a long time. Mm. Depending on where the chips fall, I suppose, in the next year. From the RevPro match 
that got the five stars onto the two New Japan Cup matches after that. The story ongoing has been these guys have wrestled each other so many times and they know each other so well and they've come up from the same scenes together. Yeah. And just like with the Danielson match, really, but that was more just like because they're both technical wizards, so they're skilled in that one discipline, so they know every facet of it anyway. Whereas with this one, it's that Zack Sabre knows what Will's going to do and Will's going to know what Zack Sabre's going to do. But now it's got to the point where Will knows what Zack Sabre is going to do because he knows what Will's going to do. Yeah. And similarly with Zack, it's counters to counters, counters at this stage. And you see some brilliant ones like Zack Sabre Jr. doing the bit where he... Osprey's got him in an ankle pick, he turns around, pulls his leg forward by pressing down on it with his other foot at the knee joint. But Osprey knows that's going to happen, so he backs off. And similarly, it even gets to the point that what's so clever as well, because again... As we've said, so many of these matches have the same sort of spots and this has the fast-paced sequence into the indie standoff to allow the audience to applaud them. But at least I appreciate it when they do something interesting with it. And with this one, what they do is interesting is that Osprey ends it by avoiding doing a move. Yeah. Because he's got Zack Sabre seated for him to do a penalty kick into him. But he knows that Zack will try to clasp at the ankle, which is what he did so many times in the last match for the New Japan Cup and and the match both the New Japan Cup matches at least. And maybe the Rev Pro that one doesn't stick in the mind as easily right now. Yeah. And so he just hot he stops himself from doing the offensive move because he knows the defensive move that Zack's going to do, and he's not necessarily confident that he can get out of it. So he stops himself from trying to get a hit in, as crazy as that is. Yeah. Because he knows the counter's coming immediately. Yeah, there's kind of a similar uh, thing they did with the start of both the recent Osprey matches against Kenny Omega, where in the first one he charges at him, like, hell for leather, and I think Kenny, like, out, like foxes him at the start. Whereas this time, uh, in the second match against Omega... Kenny wants the charge, but Will won't give it to him. Will's like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to sit fall into your trap and what you're describing there is a parallel of that and it's how new japan and how osprey's matches are crafted to show intellectual development like how his like experience levels have gone up and as a result it's no longer i'm just amazing athletically it's my brain i i will outthink you i will avoid having to like do x and y things because if if i need to avoid doing those things well it's just it's a continuing narrative isn't it from match to match to match that's why okada tanahashi was the right one to go with when we started our rerun the rivalry last year and we're prepping Mm. for it again in a few weeks time to end this year and I think that's the key with a lot of new japan and a lot of all japan and just maybe a lot of japanese matches in general that there is this constant referring back without it necessarily being too explicit sometimes can be a bit more of that with with when wwe tried to do it or aew drew it and (laughs) maybe they're they're also a bit more about just doing the moves in general rather than trying to display an epic narrative over a number of matches it's not like if you watch austin rock over the years that every matches a build up to the previous one as far as counters and everything yeah they will do their matches they will do their spots i guess maybe also because they come more from the tradition of doing that match over and over again on the house show loop so they just have their set match yeah 
it, it's so weird like when you think about how many times they'll have like gone against each other how they it's it's the match was sort of like the bolt on but it's it's the story they built around it how they how they set their table whereas we have documented and witnessed every single singles match that like Kazuchika Okada and Hiroshi Tanahashi has had Yes. Probably a bit harder to track them all the way back with the Osprey Zack Sabre Jr. matches because I'm sure there were some in the middle of Coventry that we wouldn't be that significant at the time. I read it that they've got a record going into this, I think, of uh, Zack being 9 7 ahead of Osprey or 9 6. The record they quote is 6 3 to Zack, so I don't know like, I don't know what New Japan have picked and chosen out of that. I wonder if that's factoring in New Japan and Rev Pro as the priority ones. For Quite that. possibly. But um, whilst you've got New Japan and Rev Pro obviously mentioned together, because we are watching a New Japan match sort of taking place in feeder territory with it being at the Copper Box and with the Rev Pro crew and such. You messaged me going that the gap in uh, sound quality is. Mm huge between um rev pro and new japan and considering it's royal quest which is a new japan pay-per-view it's weird that they didn't just push a little the boat out a little bit just to like make sure the qualities were at their standard i wonder if there's an expenses element to that that maybe new japan are having to cut costs in certain areas they were saying that's one of the reasons why they weren't able to sign aussie open to a contract because they just couldn't guarantee them the money to make it worth both sides endeavors so maybe that's another example because you can tell that the audio from the commentary is almost certainly not the japanese commentators there they haven't paid for the plane tickets it looks like just as kevin kelly was covering the g1 climax and several other new japan events from just like his living room you assume without trousers on probably I'm betting, though, that the New Japan people are probably suited and booted, even if it is coming from their living rooms. <laughs> it's just the way. <laughs> but the volume of their commentary, coupled with the low volume of the cameras covering the match itself, I think re- maybe pro- maybe knocks a quarter star off of this compared to like the live experience. Because I saw... I think the reason I really noticed it was that I saw a clip on Twitter of when Osprey hits a huge chop on Zack Sabre Jr. that sends him walking to the other corner opposite. Yeah. And, like, acknowledging to the crowd, yeah, that one hurt. That one did hurt. And then Osprey rams his head against the buckle, but then Zack Sabre comes back with a forearm that literally knocks Osprey down to the mat. And then he has to kind of take a minute to just say, where the hell did that come from? <laughs> the sound of that hit of the forearm on the Twitter video is so impressive and loud and just would make you kind of shudder in your in your seat if you'd been there live to see it. Yeah. Like you get next to nothing of that sound in this one. And also what we've always said about the Zack Sabre Jr. Will Ospreay matches, especially when they were in the COVID crowds in respectful, quiet Japan that it just sounds like every other Friday night outside of Weatherspoons <laughs> in Essex or Kent. I like that, though. Yeah, I like that. One of the things that's to knock down for this is that we can't capture that as well. I can't hear very vividly what they're saying to each other. I get the gist, but it's mostly lost in the crowd. Like, I really wish I'd heard exactly what Will Ospreay had said to Zach after he'd hit him with that forearm that surprised him so much. Yeah. 
but we don't get to hear that. And interestingly enough, I think that the narrative, I think that the um, the dynamic between the two at this point is almost borderline affectionate, paid off by Zach giving him a little kiss at the end of it, because, like I said, this is probably the last match between those two. Yeah. They'll have for a while, at least. It's like a sibling rivalry, I guess. It's like, well, I hate yeah. you, but I, I do love you, and I do respect you, and I do respect what you've done for, for the world around us. And that that goes that flows both ways. At least that's that's how it, it seems that they're putting what what they're putting across. Yeah, I was just gonna say the thing. I I don't have an issue with it, but the thing is, it's sort of it's the gap between the two of them and everyone else, and it's kind of like, oh, isn't this nice? We get to see this one more time, and I'm like, well, okay, but then what? Well, that's. Where I was going to say that I think where some of my frustration has come with the recent Osprey five-star matches that we've had so frequently in this podcast and is leading to the changes that we're going to make going into 2024 <laughs> is that, and it was the, I was a point I was making as well with the Shingo Takagi match, which was similarly in this venue filmed in this manner. Uh, the audio is an improvement on that, and that says everything you need to know about the audio. <laughs> in the Shingo match, is that this does feel like we're treading water with Osprey as a character right now. Because Osprey has basically said his contract runs out at the start of February and he's willing to move to America. And we've said it's been obvious from the build-up to Omega Osprey, arguably back in 2021 when they were doing the trios matches with Aussie Open and the Young Bucks as well. Yeah. That Tony Khan desperately wants Osprey and would probably push him as one of the top stars of the promotion immediately. He booked him to go over Omega, but he also booked him to go over Chris Jericho, who is the AEW talent, and he was just a loan deal there. Yes. And also was again involved on the winning side in the Don Callis family against... Omega, Jericho, and Ibushi. Mm. So he has constantly made Osprey look great. Like, Osprey hasn't taken a fall on AEW TV yet. So Tony Khan wants Osprey. But it'd be crazy to think WWE don't want Osprey as well. Oh, yeah. So at some point, and I said it when we were talking about MJF, I don't know, a year ago, I was saying, who would you be going for in the, the bidding war of 2024? And I would probably put more money into Osprey than I would MJF. Either acquisition is golden for you, but if it was up to me, I would put more stock in Osprey than I would MJF personally. Yeah. But that's not what that's not what we're talking about. But my point is that there is going to be at least one bidding war in 2024 that's going to intrigue the audience. Oh, absolutely. But because of that, the effect of that has been that really ever since the Omega win at Forbidden Door 2, and then when Osprey didn't even go into the final of the G1, that to me was the the point of, okay, he is not much longer for this period of his life, and now we're in just this interim period, Mm. during which he's got still got the IWGP US slash UK title, which they make clear points, both when the match is announced and when Osprey is announced, that this is a UK championship match. That the UK champion is defending it. I, I do like his little 
Ah, uh, are you gonna are you gonna get it right? Are you gonna get it right? Oh, you did. I'm happy because the New Japan have like have met him halfway in calling it the US UK Championship for the time being. Yeah. It does also raise the question of who will he drop the belt to at some point. Probably Wrestle Kingdom at this point now. Yeah. Uh, but again, that's for a later discussion. So I felt like ever since then, it's been a combination farewell tour, shopping window exhibition of Ospreys that we had like the final tribute match with Shingo Takagi to the Osprey Shingo matches. And we're now having the final tribute match to the Osprey Zack Sabre Jr. matches. Whether we'll get one last one with Okada, I don't think so. But that's going to be crazy, actually, when you think about it. That like the departing match between him and Okada will be Osprey getting a win, but just not that Wrestle Kingdom G One final win that is the definitive. You know, you are now the top star that we thought was the narrative Osprey was going to have going through twenty twenty three. And as I say, it was really the G One that was like, okay, no, this is going down a different path, and everyone knows it, but no one's explicitly saying it yet. Yes. I feel a lack of an emotional investment in any Osprey match since the Omega match because it doesn't feel like it's doing anything to the Osprey character. I was so invested in the Osprey Omega Wrestle Kingdom match and the Forbidden Door match because it meant so much to the Osprey character, especially the Wrestle Kingdom match because the the Forbidden Door got tied in with the Don Callis stuff, which has again overshadowed Os- Osprey's position since then because it, the focus has moved to Omega Callis rather than Omega Osprey and. I don't feel that. I don't feel any significance to the career of Osprey in any of these matches that he's had since then. He's just been either a supporting player or just, like I said, exhibiting himself on the shopping window. He's getting his Wembley match that he tattoos and then finds out that that might have been an (laughs) ill-advised tattoo to get at the time. And if he ever does sign for WWE and they get their WrestleMania at Wembley Stadium, he again will have to probably do some minor alterations to that tattoo. Because like I said... If we get WrestleMania at Wembley Stadium, you're not seeing those empty seats like you could see at the AEW show. And that's not a slight on AEW. That's just an observation of the pulling power that WrestleMania has. Yes. And it's got from 40 years. The fact that AEW got what it got from four years is incredible. Oh, absolutely. We'll talk about that more in the episode you'll get that we've already recorded with the uh, UK wrestling fan and probably also in 2023 in review. Yeah, what you're basically describing uh, to see that I've if t- to to say that we're on the same page is you're basically Will Ospreay's basically the Harlem Globetrotters right now. To borrow a phrase from you, to an extent, <laughs> do you understand where I'm coming from? Like, like the Osprey that we saw during the COVID crowds and everything, and that was talking about his mental health and his issues and every, and how hard this life was for him, and yeah, and how he had this massive chip on his shoulder against Okada, and he had it against Omega. They don't seem to be there anymore. That's because he's not going to be there anymore, and he said so publicly. Exactly. So, if o- Osprey does go to AEW, then they probably build that up again, and then we get more of Osprey's character stuff, and he's going to go through chapters when he goes up against Omega for a third time, or when he goes up against MJF for the first time, or when he goes up against Jay White again, or when he goes up against Brian Danielson. Yeah. Or Adam Copeland. Oh, yeah. That's a fault. Or whoever else you put him up against. Christian Cage, because, you know. As Osprey himself has said, he's a stepfather. (laughs) He could be trying to give a, you know, try to defend all good stepfathers around the world. Yeah. From Joseph onwards, the stepfather can be a good man. I I get what you're saying is if he does go that way, 
maybe then this is just a blip and then he gets to reignite all of these um, stories. Or he goes to WWE and ignites a whole new series of stories, plus reignites, I would assume, his, his matches with Ricochet. I would not be shocked if Ricochet, if he signed for WWE, was his first big match. Yeah, that that would make a, the most sense. And you've got Rollins there you could do. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's Let's not go into all that. But I'm just saying that, like... This match feels like a really good exhibition, like the Shingo match did. Yes. And I love the story of the counters to counters and everything, but I got an even better version of that story that had more emotional heft and better coverage in the Danielson match between Zack Sabre Jr. and him only a few weeks earlier. And you felt like that meant way more to him, even though this is for a title, Yeah, than it did with Osprey. Yeah, I completely and wholeheartedly agree with you on this one. It, it was very nice. Oh, it was beyond nice. It was excellent. But it just wasn't, you know, that extra layer. We've just seen it as well. We've literally just seen it. (laughs) Yeah, and better. Yeah, absolutely. We saw better Shingo matches. We saw better Zack Sabre Jr. matches. We've seen more emotionally invested Osprey. Like, there's a certain amount of, like, him having a laugh going into the match, during the match, and after the match. Yeah. Like, I I, I saw him, like, have a quick word with one of the more prominent New Japan UK Twitter accounts who's on the front row and then during the match with Zack Sabre Jr they're not bantering in an aggressive way they're bantering in an almost chummy way Mm. and then at the end of the match he's bringing out a sign from the crowd making a joke about his tattoo of the attendance of the show and everything yeah like he's in a good place and usually when wrestlers are in a good place it's not a compelling story (laughs) I'm not saying you have to suddenly say that he got involved in a car crash and had sex with the corpse (laughs) but Somewhere in between the two is a good is a good landing point. <laughs> I did not foresee a Katie Vick reference. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, even in this match, Zack Sabre Jr. is doing almost a retelling of the Danielson match in that he's going after Osprey's arm for the most part. Mm. At one point, he goes for the ankles, which I thought was a fun way of doing it. Because then if you take the high flyer's legs out, then how can they... High fly, yeah. Oh, another thing that's a point, bone of contention for me is it's probably a good thing that he gets to move on from New Japan because now the Oz Cutter has even overtaken The Undertaker's first tombstone in a WrestleMania match as being an anticlimactic non-finish. Yep, absolutely not. It, it, like when you're doing super Oz Cutters and apron Oz Cutters, why, why would I care about a regular one? No, not the Oz Cutter, the Stormbreaker. But also Oz Cutters because he does go for pins after Oz Cutters and like, and like no one's buying it no one's buying this (laughs) and also now because they almost know it themselves because in the past when you hit the finisher and the the crowd's going ape shit and like there was just a sense in the way that he even executed the move it's like we know how these matches are structured and there's more of this to come so yeah it doesn't even get to me it didn't pop me and i again hard to gauge with the audience but like I said, what I liked about this match were the counters to counters. The fact that he goes for the cheeky Nando's kick. Zack Sabre Jr. turns out and jumps on his back to do a sleep hold. Osprey powers him up, puts him back into position. But instead of it being the classic thing where they get it right the second time, Zack Sabre comes up with a second different kind of reversal mm. from it. I like that Osprey was able to turn his classic European clutch move into a wheelbarrow suplex, which is almost always the uncounterable counter that Zack Sabre Jr. does. Like, Danielson didn't counter out of it in their match. I, and and the, they go on the top rope, and Zach turns it into a top rope. Like, they fall to the mat, and he's got him in an arm breaker. 
Osprey tries to power out of it into a power bomb. Like, Zack knows where that's coming and hits him with the Gibson driver. Yeah. The Gibson driver. I don't know. The Michinoku driver. Whatever it is that Zack Sabre calls it. I think he calls it the Zack driver, doesn't he? Yeah. I was thinking... I must have been thinking Zack Gibson. Ah. So... So yeah, as an exhibition, it almost like the Shingo match. It almost felt as close as Osprey comes to doing house show, but that still is enough for Meltzer to give it five and a half stars. <laughs> and I wouldn't be surprised if I'd have seen it live. If I would have said that's maybe the best match I've ever seen live, but I didn't. And I've seen better from both of them, and I've cared more in other matches. This wasn't like the Rev Pro match, which was the final Zack Sabre Junior being the final big boss for Will Ospreay to surpass him on the UK scene, and then subsequently their bitter expat battles in Japan. Like the UK, like I said, the UK Weatherspoon's equivalent of those barroom brawls that Hanson and Brody and the Funks had in the 80s. Yeah, no, again, there's not there's not much to build on from what you've said there, because it's just there. This just... It's it's very nice, it's very good, but all it does is exist. That's all it does. Them just being there and it just existing, to me, is still enough that I would probably go like four and a quarter stars. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe if I'm generous, four and a half. Yeah, I, I'm in the same range. I don't mean it in a disparaging way. It's just that they've given us so much better that this is just there. So last hypothetical of sorts, Simon. If you're Will Ospreay, New Japan will probably offer you a bit more money, but I think they knew the writing was on the wall. In a way, I'm kind of surprised they kept having him go over these guys like Okada and Zack Sabre Jr. that they will have next year. Yeah. As I say, maybe they're doing that so that if he drops the belt at Wrestle Kingdom to one of Suji or Umino or uh, Yuimura maybe even, or Narita, then it will mean a hell of a lot because they know what a run. Yeah. Yeah. And also, Okada and Zack have enough wins over Osprey that losing to them in these environments... Again, like, there's a difference to losing to someone in a random G1 block match than the G1 final. There's a difference between losing to someone at Royal Quest than at Wrestle Kingdom. Yes. So, if you were Osprey, offers will be coming to you from New Japan, offers will be coming to you from AEW. Fuck it, TNA seemed to want to revolutionise everything, and... Billy Corgan's got some TV shows now that he needs to fill up. <laughs> and WWE, obviously, are going to come calling as well. If you're Will Ospreay, which one do you take? For me, AEW. I think in terms of money for dates, it's the best deal that's probably you're probably going to get. And, you know, like at the end of the day, he's, he's getting on. He's, he's got to look after himself. Work smarter, not harder. And I think the smarter money is there. I will, because the working smarter, I think you've also got to put into it. Yes, there's fewer matches on a yearly basis than you would if you went to WWE. But my guess is there's more money cumulatively in those matches than there is in AEW. Mm. It's a much larger audience. If he then did his two or three years in WWE, he's still 33. And even if he gets misused by them, which I don't think will be the case anymore with Triple H as the head of creative, I think Triple H and Shawn Michaels in particular lick their lips at the idea of what they might be able to do with someone like Osprey. Yeah. I would personally go with WWE. If it doesn't work out, you're 33. You've now got enough money to have a very nice house or two and a fairly set life. Then you can go to AEW or you can go back to New Japan if you feel creatively unfulfilled. Mm. I would take the WWE money if I was Osprey at this point. 
That's fair enough. I don't know. It's not just the matches, though. It's the travel. But I think Osprey would have great matches in WWE. I think other people would be motivated to meet him at his level. Oh. Just think of those matches that we could get. We could get Osprey Rollins. We could get Osprey Ricochet. We could get Osprey Sami Zayn. Yeah. We could get Osprey Roman Reigns. We can get Osprey Gunther. All these things that are available to them. And I don't think they would make him go through the NXT mill either. I think they would either debut him literally at WrestleMania or the Raw after WrestleMania. Both are really good options. It's what you're motivated by. Guarantee they pair him up with Logan Paul. Yeah. Because Logan Paul would love to try and match. You could argue that Osprey's a better high flyer. Well, although he doesn't fly as much. Maybe he's a better all-round wrestler than Ricochet and maybe could carry Logan Paul to an even better match. And their personalities probably bounce off each other pretty well. I mean, WWE could, at the end of it, go, we don't even need Logan Paul anymore. We've got Logan Paul at home. <laughs> well, yeah, but like, look at Logan's like, reach. You're always going to use Logan. But there's limited dates you'll have with Logan Paul compared to what you'll have with Will Ospreay. True. Ultimately, though, it's going to be down to what motivates him. And look... He's earned this. He's earned him. He's earned the opportunity to be in the power seat that he is. Just make the most of it. Also, if he goes to WWE, guaranteed that knocks off at least a, a, a half star from most of his matches with Dave Meltzer, and not even necessarily because of Dave Meltzer's biases, but because WWE would probably want him to slow down. He might find it harder to work in those crowds, in those rings as well, working with ring ropes, bigger ring, yeah. different environments different way that they want you to work things but there are much more leeway to his style of wrestling now than there was before and osprey spent the last few years proving that he doesn't have to do the flippy shit anymore to get crowds involved that he can go matches with barely any top rope moves yeah so he, he probably would be able to adapt to the wwe style even better than they themselves might expect but we'll find out or, or we, we won't, won't. <laughs> <laughs> but until that point Assuming there are no five-stars matches in the interim, and that's a big assumption to make, we will finally send you that episode that is almost certainly irrelevant in half of the observations that we make about the UK wrestling fans and the UK wrestling scene. Yep. I don't know which one will happen first, that episode coming out or a genuine guaranteed definitive number from that Wembley Stadium event being made. But until then, Simon, if people want to get in touch with you with other contract dilemmas they might want to get your opinion on, Oh, bloody hell. How can they do so? For the record, I'm not an employment lawyer. People can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm sending Simon Cross free. Free for the third WrestleQuest, which is the one we just watched. My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A-N. That is the A-N at the end of Copperbox Arena, if you turn those last two letters around. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterbox. If you put that gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get into the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. LMTYspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. But there's nothing left to say at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five and a half star time. Until the next time.
Too full of dreams for me to sleep tonight Stars over London, how do you do? This my first time seeing you So good seeing you, so nice meeting you